Welcome to the True Falls Film Festival. Welcome to the True False Podcast, presented by KBIA. I'm Sebastián Martínez Valdivia. This week, we continue our dispatches from last year's festival. This episode is unique because it's the last we recorded in studio, and it was recorded during the festival. Our guests were True Life Fund recipients, filmmaker David France, who showed his film Welcome to Chechnya at the fest, and the film's subject, Maxim Lapunov. In Welcome to Chechnya, France documented on-the-ground efforts to rescue members of the country's persecuted LGBTQ community, including Lapunov. While many of the film's subjects are digitally altered to protect their identities, Lapunov took the unprecedented step of testifying publicly about his imprisonment and torture at the hands of the Chechen government. At the time, he was living with his family in exile as his case worked its way through the European court. My first question after seeing the film um, is just, Max, how are you doing? How's your family? How is your life right now? <laughs> Everything is, is way better now than it used to be. My family is doing really well, and they're extremely happy that uh, we get to shine a light on such big issues, and they're saying hi to everyone. David, uh, I read an interview with you mentioning the pro-democracy protests back in like 2012. So is Russia something that you've paid attention to for a long time, in particular LGBT issues there? Well, it's uh, it's a place I've been a kind of a general consumer of news from. And uh, after 2012, was, things were changing really dramatically in Russia, especially for the LGBTQ community. It did attract my attention, but I never thought I'd be drawn there uh, to to tell such a dire story. And so how did that happen? How did you specifically get involved in telling this story? I had read the original news stories about the horrors that were being perpetrated against the community in the south of Russia back in early 2017, um, and then the headlines kind of vanished. Uh, I thought the, the somehow the matter had been resolved, um, and it wasn't until that summer that I read an article that... Um, that exposed the story of what the activists were doing absent any sort of international pressure campaigns to get this to stop, and that they had built uh, very quietly this kind of vast global underground railroad to get people to safety, and that people were being you know, rescued by hand from Chechnya. That uh, made me realize that I needed to go in and tell that story and make sure the world knew what was happening there. And obviously, I mean, it's a little different from your previous projects, not just because it's in another country, but it's also something that you're documenting in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how did you approach it differently in that respect? Well, I come to filmmaking after a career in print journalism. So I'm, I've been an investigative reporter um, and have, have worked in real time for most of my career, um, although my first two films were uh, heavily based on archival materials. Uh, this was much more like the kind of journalism that I've practiced over the years. Okay, so it was familiar to you. It was familiar to me. What wasn't familiar is that I was recording a story that I didn't understand at all. I don't speak Russian. And um, we were communicating with one another uh, with Google Translate, which has its flaws, but really does open up a world. And I had a producer on uh, at my side who was, during filming breaks, able to bring me up to speed on things. But it really wasn't until I brought the footage back 
and had it all translated that I was able to know really, you know, exactly the moment by moment things that were transpiring before my eyes. And you've seen tremendous change in the time that you've been covering um, that subject. Mm -hmm. Do you have hope after what you've seen in Russia and what you've seen in Chechnya that things can get better there as well? well I have to tell you that I was, I'm, I'm still shocked at what's happening there. I am one of those people, and I think there are many of us, who have convinced ourselves that this forward movement over the last three or four decades it was irreversible. And what we see happening in Chechnya is the first time since Hitler that LGBT people are being rounded up systematically in a top-down, government-led campaign to eradicate gay people. And that's, I mean, it's shocking that, that anyone would think that that was a good thing to do, for one thing, and that the world would sit so quietly by while it keeps going on. So this story broke in 2017. It is still going on. And I don't know, I guess it's, it's not a hopeful answer I'm giving to your question. I see, we're seeing a lot of retrenchment going on in this country. Um, throughout Europe, there are now the, these declared gay-free zones in Poland that have been announced over the last year or 18 months. It's a period not just of retrenchment, but, you know, I was thinking earlier that um, I guess I always imagined that there would be some paces backwards, but I think what's happened is that we've been turned around and are now heading full speed backwards, and that's problematic and depressing and distressing. And I'm hoping that Max's case is going to have an actual positive impact on this. It exhausted the national courts in Russia and has moved into the European courts now. And um, he's expecting a response to his filings there by the end of March. And uh, thereafter, we'll see what the court rules. Um, and the, his lawyers are pretty certain that they're going to rule in his favor. So that's going to be a, a milestone, a watershed. And I think that it has a good chance of turning the Russian problem at least away from the day-to-day the -day peril that is presented to the community there. And Max, uh, obviously, you know, really terrible things happened to you. How have you tried to process that or, or work through that so that you can just, you know, live your life? It's difficult to describe this in, in a couple of words. I received a lot of threats a lot of threats through mass media. There's a homophobic group in Russia called The Saw, and they released a hit list in Russia, and my name was on that list. It was difficult to live through this, but I have my boyfriend next to me, I have my family by my side, and they're the biggest support group ever, and without them I would not be able to uh, live comfortably and to function properly right now. Similarly, Max, I mean, you took a huge risk by coming out about what had happened to you in Chechnya and, and filing this complaint with the Russian government asking for an investigation. Before you made that decision, how, what was that process like in terms of weighing those risks versus the importance of doing it? It was a very difficult decision. I tried to find justice. I tried really hard. And I figured that no matter what I do, all the legal proceedings, all the investigations would need to happen in Chechnya. 
That means that I'm going to dig my own grave. And later I found out about the LGBT net, the Russian LGBT network, who really helped me to weigh in all the risks and to help me with all the legal proceedings and prepare myself and to figure out what my next steps were. The independent newspaper Nova Gazeta, the LGBT network, and the Committee Against Torture, we all worked together on this. And only because all these three organizations were working together collaboratively allowed us to properly uh, figure out a way how to file the complaint and to figure out our next steps. It was scared. My mental and physical health was in very poor conditions. I was shaking all the time. My tongue would go numb. Uh, it was very difficult for me to go through all this. But this was the only opportunity for myself to, to protect myself, and I had to go through this, even though it was difficult. Coming up, Maxim Lapunov and David France talk about how the visual effects in Welcome to Chechnya protect the subject's anonymity while retaining their humanity. Yes, at first it was weird to see someone else's face on my own face, uh, but then you get used to him and the guy is very cute, so why not? We'll be back after this. Welcome back to the True False Podcast, presented by KBIA. I'm Sebastian Martinez Valdivia. Let's get back to our conversation with Welcome to Chechnya director David France and Maxim Lapunov, one of the subjects of the film. You decided to digitally alter people's faces to protect their identities. Um, why was that important for you to do instead of just maybe blurring out people's faces or some of the other ways you see of obstructing people's identity? One of the things that I was interested in in trying to understand was why the news media stopped covering this issue. And uh, I learned immediately that it had a lot to do with the fact that you couldn't show the people who were uh, survivors of this torture, who had escaped, and who were being helped by the activists. They were so uh, frightened, um, and with good reason, that they would not appear on camera. They wouldn't um, allow themselves to be photographed except in deep shadow and with their voices altered uh, into mechanical sounds. So when I started working on the project, I asked people if I could shoot their faces so I could see what it's like to be them, to have experienced this, to be at that moment in, in their lives. And, um, and I wanted to be able to see their humanity. And I promised them that I would disguise them. And I really didn't know how to do that. But I also promised them that they could see what I was trying to do and let me know whether or not it was a disguise enough for them. And so we went through a whole bunch of different uh, attempts to try and come up with our solution. And none of them were really working. And these are approaches that many documentary filmmakers have made, used in the past. Um, they would tend to, if they showed the emotions, they would still be recognizable. Um, so we used like rotoscoping and, and other kinds of um, ordinary VFX approaches. Uh, and it just wasn't working. We didn't want to go to artists and have them reinterpret what was going on in the faces of the people in the, in the film. And it wasn't until we settled on this forward-leaning uh, VFX digitalizing approach that we realized that we could tell their story. We could see their uh, emotional presence in the film and in the, the frames in the film. Um, and we could disguise them 
at, at the highest standard, we were calling it, which is the standard by which even your mother won't recognize you. And once we settled on that, I knew that we would be able to, to show this film. I was really worried for a while that, that uh, after all this effort, we would never be able to release this. And luckily, this allowed me to bring images back to the folks who, who allowed me to film them, and, um, and it surprised them enough um, and made them laugh enough and made them feel safe enough that uh, they gave sign-offs. Max, can you talk about that a little bit, what it was like to see your face looking um, digitally altered, and maybe also if your family saw it, what their reaction was? First time when I saw the film was when David brought the film to us, and the faces were not there yet. And then the first time I saw the, my different face was in the public at a, the very first screening at Sundance, and you, I actually was getting used to this uh, person on screen, a different guy. Yes, at first it was weird to see someone else's face on my own face, uh, but then you get used to him, and the guy is very cute, so why not? And the work that David has done, uh, it's an incredible, a lot of work, and the shield really works. And I realized that this face really protects the identity, so I think it's a, a great opportunity in the future for people to use this technology uh, to um, hide the sources, but to get the stories out. So to clarify, so it was people, it was actors whose faces were superimposed in post, or how did that work? As Maxime was saying, these are real people's faces, uh, they're not actors, they're activists themselves for the most part, mostly uh, LGBT activists, mostly activists around issues of queer refugee issues and asylum issues. And we approached them and said, would you lend us your face as this shield? It took courage for them to say yes, because nobody really knew what this was going to do to them personally. But um, And once they did, there are 22 faces covered in the film. We... Um, filmed the activists in a kind of a blue screen environment and we just ingested their faces in, into a computer algorithm and um, they're not acting. What we've created is a, a program that allows the face of the activist to be stretched over the face of the person who's shot in the film. So all the facial action belongs to the underlying character uh, we've just done a kind of a skin transplant. And, and this, this kind of AI approach and kind of deep machine learning approach um, allows us to m merge that new skin with the old character. And it's, um, it's really a, a phenomenally faithful technique. So we really are watching what transpires on the face of the people who are in the film. Uh, and we're able to do that because these activists gave voice back to the folks who are fleeing, allowed them to speak their own story, and in a way, restored their humanity. So I, I think that's why this technique is so powerful in documentary filmmaking, and I expect we'll see other people use it in the future. I don't know if you can speak to this, David, mm -hmm. being the recipient of the True Life Fund. What will that support do uh, for, for this story? First of all, we're like really proud to be um, the True Life film this year. I have been coming to True False uh, every year for the last eight or nine years. I've always loved this aspect of the festival. Um, and then when we got the call saying that they had chosen our subjects to celebrate in this way, it was really thrilling. 
what is this support going to do for us? Um, the support is going to go right to Maxime and his family uh, so that they can continue their legal battles. Um, and they are living in exile now, as, as you know and as we show in the film. They're not safe where they are. They, there's this constant threat that they'll be discovered. So this, this money is going to help them increase their safety. And it will um, support the whole family because the whole family was forced into exile. And that's going to be really tremendous. One thing that Maxime will tell you more about is that his sister, who fled with her two kids and with, with Maxime and his boyfriend, fiancé now, and his mom. Almost immediately upon arriving at their new country, she was diagnosed with advanced cancer. She's beyond treatment now, unfortunately. So then there's going to be a, a question of taking care of the kids, which Maxime and, and his boyfriend are going to be taking on as well. So there's a big responsibility there awaiting him, and the, the support of the, the audiences here in Colombia is going to be really essential for making that possible. Can you uh, talk a little bit about what that support means for you personally? David touched on it, but I just want to give you the chance to also talk about what the support of this fund means for your life and for, like you mentioned, your sister's children. I would really like to thank, first of all, the, the True Fault Film Festival and everyone who decided to give such a gift to us the True Life Fund. It means really a lot and going to change our lives, hopefully. These are extremely difficult times for us right now. My sister is chained to bed. My mother barely moves right now. So my boyfriend and I were taking care of uh, our, my sister's kids. And so the, the big portion of the money that we're going to hopefully fundraise will go toward supporting my uh, sister. And then the money that we might receive from the European court, we hope to, in the future, purchase some sort of uh, permanent home for, for us and for our family. When we found out about the True Life Fund, uh, the whole family was just so happy. We were jumping around and smiling. We couldn't believe it was happening. It means really a lot to us. Thank you. This was just my life, and David captured a part of my life. And I realized that I was not the only one fighting for, for my rights and for human rights. I was actually deeply inspired that I'm not alone anymore and that there are other people fighting uh, I was inspired by the fact that there were thousands of other people that were supporting the cause that I'm fighting for. I really hope that people are not going to be afraid anymore to come forward and to shine light on these uh, crimes that are happening all around the world. And I hope that this film can will be able to help these people come forward, really. Truthfully, it's not that difficult and scary to make the first step and to file an official complaint. And I believe if, if everyone makes the first step, we're going to change the system and change the law. I believe that the victims of these crimes must be protected by the law. And so related to that, Max, what, what are your hopes for your case? Um, but then also more broadly, just what are your hopes for the future? Regarding the case at the European Court of Human Rights, I really hope this is going to be over sooner than later. And speaking about my own, my own hopes for my own future, I have a lot of dreams, I have a lot of goals. 
my boyfriend and I are gonna get married sometime soon. We have a lot of plans regarding our own family. И самое важное, конечно, хотелось бы еще немножко There's one thing that I would like to wish to the people who are going to be following in my footsteps, probably going through the same process. Да, я был свидетелем очень жестоких преступлений. I was a witness to the crimes against humanity, and there are other people who were also witnesses to such. The film that David uh, was working on is really a gift to the people who were afraid to show their faces. Now with this new technology, will allow them to come forward and to tell their stories. These people have a tremendous opportunity to tell their own stories and to uncover the crimes. David France is the director and Maxim Lapunov is the subject of Welcome to Chechnya. That's it for this week's episode of the True False Podcast presented by KBIA. This episode was produced by Tina Tan and Maggie Doney. Our music is by Tim Pilcher using sounds from the True False Podcast. You can find past episodes of the show on our website at kbia.org or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sebastian Martinez Valdivia. Thanks for listening. <laughs>